Good day and welcome to MacGyver Newsmakers. I'm Matt Kittle. Steve Nagy knows what oppression is. The Budapest native was 12 years old when he and his family fled in the aftermath of the Hungarian Revolution of 1956 and joined some 200,000 refugees escaping their beloved homeland, reeling under the control of a puppet government of the Soviet Union. For two generations, the Nagy family had operated food-related businesses in Hungary, All was lost in the communist takeover of the late 1940s and 50s when the government nationalized businesses. That meant you were lucky to be an employee of a business you previously owned, Nagy told MacGyver News Service recently. The Nagy's escaped to Austria and then were admitted into the United States. Nagy remembers seeing the Statue of Liberty for the first time as the ship carrying him to the Promised Land sailed into New York Harbor. Sure, there were thoughts that the United States streets were paved with gold, everybody was rich. The Nagy's learned pretty quickly that was not the case, but at the very least there were some basic principles that you could always count on and some core principles that came at the birth of this nation in the Declaration of Independence, and that was the pursuit of life, liberty, uh, and the pursuit of happiness, of course. (sighs) Mr. Nagy has had a fruitful experience here in the United States living the American dream, but his American dream now is in jeopardy because of a committee that Mr. Nagy says is threatening the American dream and the basic liberty of small businesses. We invite into uh, this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers, Mr. Nagy, uh, Steve Nagy. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to participate. I'm I'm certainly well. Would be better if this uh, uh, unfortunate circumstance that uh, we see playing in the legislature would not uh, have to consume our productive time. But we're working on it, and uh, and uh, I believe that we're going to uh, persevere and uh, triumph. Let's uh, talk a little bit about how we got to this point. But before we do that, we need a little history lesson on your American dream. You came here at the age of 12 in 1957. Your family almost immediately uh, got down to work and made a big success out of themselves. Uh, And then you went on to make a success of yourself. And that, of course, continued in the early 1980s when you launched an interesting new business and a business model. And uh, the name of the company is Homestead Meadows, a rural Outagamie County agriculture-themed event venue, more commonly known as a wedding barn, Tell us about uh, your wedding barn, if you will, this agricultural venue and the growing industry therein. Well, uh, indeed, uh, it is a a very popular trend nowadays. Uh, We were in many ways, uh, if not the first, uh, one of the first uh, such venues. Now, mind you, we were a very rustic uh, edition of uh, of the modern day uh, agriculture themed event venue with five wood burning stoves and uh, <laughs> a fancy but uh, nonetheless an outhouse uh, not uh, anything uh, of the fancy restrooms and air conditioning that we enjoy today 
but uh, nonetheless, it was a meaningful start. Now, going back even to the old country, I always had a green thumb. Uh, I always was busy growing everything that would grow and grafting trees and rooting grapevines. And uh, when we got to the U.S., it wasn't very long. I believe I was just 17 when I bought my first property. It was a humble five acres, but on a beautiful little trout stream. I built a cabin on it that, believe it or not, still stands uh, so many years uh, later. It's over 50 years ago. And then uh, when I was about 25, 26, uh, we moved to the Fox River Valley uh, for uh, my teaching job at the newly formed uh, Fox Valley Technical Institute at that time. And uh, within uh, about a year, we purchased at a farm auction a farm that um, ultimately became Homestead Meadows. Now, it was a very humble farm, a farm that uh, Mr. Um, Kelly Wickert, who represented the auction company, uh, two days before explained to me, Steve, uh, I don't want to mislead you. You seem like a nice young man. Uh, we're not really selling a farm here. We're selling some pretty nice farmland. And then you mm. will want to have the volunteer fire department come out and clear the site for you. Well, what he wasn't understanding is that we had no money. We had seven or 8,000 in college loans. Uh, we had a baby. Uh, my wife was pregnant and our car barely ran. Uh, but I did have a, a good, uh, degree from, uh, University of Wisconsin, uh, Stout State University at the time in manufacturing engineering. And so uh, we set about fixing all these buildings. And uh, after a while, um, in the early eight, 1980s, I reflected back on the fact that as I was growing up, almost every wedding I remembered attending involved, believe it or not, killing a pig, butchering it and cooking it, sure. uh, tapping some homemade wine and uh, you know, then the gypsies would arrive and it would turn into a two or three day celebration uh, <laughs> on, on somebody's farm. And uh, so uh, obviously we don't do any three day weddings, but uh, we have done now a 1400 and uh, today is 1499 weddings at Homestead Meadows. Now, this is significant because people act like this is a new trend. But uh, keep this in mind. If you were 100 uh, years ago, 150 years ago, well to do. Your family's, your kid's wedding was not in a local tavern or a humble banquet hall. It was out on the, the estate, on the, on the plantation, on the farm, on the ranch. So it was very much like the kinds of things that people have discovered and love today. And you can do that on any budget uh, at one of uh, the many uh, such event venues that have developed. Um, so this is a social and business trend that makes all the sense in the world. Now, what's wrong with the thing, okay? If you are the owner of a conventional banquet facility, a tavern uh, that has lost some of this banquet business, and if you are a part of a powerful uh, organization, political organization called the Tavern League of Wisconsin, and if you have uh, an assemblyman who is a past president of the Tavern League, and who also owns a, a supper club in Rhinelander, you put all those factors together and what do you have? You have a lot of activism that is basically, uh, you know, protectionist uh, and, and cronyism in nature. And, uh, and this is what happened when, uh, unbeknownst to us at the last minute, literally at the last minute that the assembly was in session in March, um, they uh, they slipped into an unrelated bill 
a provision that would have prohibited the consumption of alcohol at any venue that charges a rental fee unless it uh, holds a Class B liquor license. Ah, and that gets, us to, that gets us to the crux of the issue, and that's where I want exactly. to take us to right now. We um, Last week, of course, MacGyver News Service was there, among others, members of uh, the alcohol industry at uh, a special study committee that was created uh-huh. to examine the laws, and the I should say specifically the enforcement of laws involving Wisconsin's three-tier law on alcohol production, distribution, and sales. And specifically, this committee, 15 members made up of, as you say, members from the industry, but more so members with ties to the Tavern League of Wisconsin, which has a definite problem with the growing number of wedding barns or agriculture-themed venues out there serving alcohol without a license, as they would like to see, that dominated the course of conversation. And the chairman of this committee, as you mentioned, is State Representative Rob Swearingen, who is a Rhinelander Supper Club owner and past president of the Tavern League. The concern from critics of this committee is that the process to try to penalize these small business operators, and let's face it, a lot of them are agriculture-based farmers who are looking for additional income, and that's why they host these venues. But there's a difference here, and herein lies the issue and the problem and the point of controversy. Uh, What you do at your facility, like so many others across the state in this country, is you allow wedding parties or other family-style events to come in and hold their events, their weddings, their receptions at your barn. You are not responsible for the serving or the sale of alcohol. That is on the the onus of the, exactly. uh, the families. We don't purchase, we don't sell, we don't serve. Uh, so uh, there is consumption of alcohol, but just as in any other private party, whether it's a tailgate party or a party in a hotel room or a party uh, in, in a park uh, or in somebody's backyard, uh, the the alcohol is purchased legally with all the applicable excise and sales taxes paid at the retail establishment where it's procured and is brought in and is served uh, at no cost. Uh, So there's no money exchanging. And this is uh, clearly within the uh, terms of uh, Chapter 125 of the uh, Wisconsin uh, statutes uh, administered by the Department of Revenue. Uh, and they have testified uh, now repeatedly at two different meetings that these um, uh, this method of uh, holding a private event at a, an agriculture themed or in fact another uh, kind of, of facility like a warehouse, some of these have been converted in Wisconsin, abandoned warehouses, mm-hmm. uh, is entirely within the uh, scope of, uh, of the law. Indeed. Steve Nagy, who is owner and operator of what uh, has been commonly referred to as wedding barns, but agriculture-themed venues, his is Homestead Meadows in rural Outagamie County. He's been operating it for 37 years. Now he faces more regulation. What this... um, committee wants to do, as you well know, sir, is they want to create a new class of license now. It would be a what has been referred to as a consumption license that at some level yet to be determined, you, the operator, would have to pay 
for alcohol being consumed on your premises. Tell me what you think of this idea of expanded regulation in the marketplace. Well, okay, I have two different thoughts on it. Uh, one is uh, a thought of amusement. I was present at that meeting, and it was very interesting that when they finally got around in the afternoon to reviewing the four different drafts of bills that the legal team had prepared after they went uh, around the table and everybody had had a chance to comment on it it wasn't but a moment later that one of the committee members who's also a state senator said and i'd like to present a motion to uh, get rid of this bill yeah. and the and original that bill a, that was in place because exactly. it was conf- it was confusing a lot it was of folks confusing said. and and uh, i could tell as i listened to the various folks that you know while they were saying oh yeah we have to regulate alcohol in fact nobody was going to put their name uh, or almost nobody perhaps the tavern league guys might have but uh and we have two legal uh, team members from the tavern league even the executive director is sitting on this committee mm-hmm. and it should be noted that even though this committee is singularly constituted to deal with the issue of uh, these agricultural event venues uh, not a single member of that group, even though there are over 200 of these venues, has been uh, uh, accepted as a member of the committee. I mean, this is yes. clearly a, a, an inside job of of uh, creating a committee that would be predictably uh, moving in that direction. But back to the, the matter of the uh, draft bill, uh, nobody was going to agree on that because it had so many holes in it and so many confusing uh, what-if scenarios that... Uh, I believe that nobody would seriously want their name attached to it. But then, you know, they came back with this idea, well, you know, we do need to control alcohol. And so if we uh, can't require a license to sell, then maybe we can require a license to consume on premises. So a premise-based license Mm -hmm. that just says, okay, we recognize that there's a party going on here, there's alcohol, and it's purchased legally, but it's not going to be sold on premises. Now, that has its own set of uh, problems. I mean, we could talk about uh, umpteen different scenarios that would still be made illegal by this, uh, and not to mention the fact that now you're asking thousands, literally, uh, if I don't know how many municipalities there are in Wisconsin, but it's a large number. You're asking these local small municipalities, some of which are 200 and some are 400 and some are 1,000, you know, to to administer that kind of licensing on an annual basis. You're it adding, you're no adding more government, you're adding more bureaucrats, you're adding more levels Absolutely. and layers into what should be uh, the free market. Now, the argument from uh, committee members, particularly uh, Chairman Swearingen, is, hey, if the rest of these places that are in the hospitality business have to be licensed, why not these wedding barns? And the question also comes up, if it's just a flat fee license, and in all of this, of course, the devil is in the details, you know that. Yes. Uh, but if it's just a flat license and they allow you to operate six months or a year and you don't have to keep coming back for special event permits and those sorts of things, and it's a flat fee. I don't know what that fee is, but let's just say for the sake of argument it's $200 and you go about your business, that wouldn't be a big problem. How do you feel about uh, that assertion? You know, I, I think that you could make a case for that as not being a huge problem. But my question is this. 
my understanding, my humble understanding, I'm not a legal person, but uh, I've been around a long time, like 74 years, uh, 60 of which uh, involved operating a whole variety of businesses. My sense is that the reason we have governments is because when you have a lot of people, there are a complex potential set of interactions, right? And so the role of government is to enable individuals in a complex society to experience the best possible life or if we've gone astray to create some remedies okay so i would ask you this having operated homestead meadows for 36 and a half years uh, and having had over 6,000 individual uh, events and and groups uh, present including as i said 1490 uh, uh, pardon me, 1,499 weddings as of today, uh, and experienced zero problems, uh, zero occasions for the local police to show up, uh, zero situations of uh, one of my guests, uh, you know, hitting the tree on the way out mm -hmm. because they were inebriated. Now, I'm not saying that people don't drink, as they do everywhere, okay, but that's a separate state law that says thou shalt not drink and drive, right? right? So at the end of a wedding, we may have a half dozen cars or, or 10 or 12 that stay overnight and come back at 10 o'clock the next morning. So I would say to you that my uh, record and the record of all of these uh, types of event venues is much more clean than the typical record of the typical tavern. And that's you an know? interesting point, too. Now, on the other side, you have uh, members of this commission saying, well, you know, uh, everybody's not uh, Steve Nagy. Everybody's not uh, Homestead Meadows. There are some concerns about other operators operating outside of the law, and they assert, and we know this to be incorrectly, they assert that this is basically the Wild West. You don't have to have follow any regulations or, uh, you know, get any uh, permits or any of these sorts of things. When simply you, you do through the local municipality, through the county governments or what have you, all of this stuff is covered with the exception of what they want to do here, which is to create some kind of uh, alcohol-based license. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you are aware, no doubt, uh, Mr. Kittle, of the uh, document circulated recently by uh, Peter Madden, I believe his name is, mm -hmm. of the executive director of the Tavern League, uh, with uh, identifying 15 problems with the wedding barn industry. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, because of these problems, they create... Uh, a, an unfair playing field, let's say, uh, for the typical licensed venue. In fact, we've prepared a point-by-point -point rebuttal, mm -hmm. uh, first pointing out that, uh, you know, 12 or 14 of the 15 had nothing to do with alcohol. They had to do with building code compliance. They had to do with fire code compliance fire inspections, annual or biannual inspections, ADA, Americans with Disability Act, compliance of, of uh, accessible bathrooms, and on and on and on. So it is not the function of the Department of Revenue to, to monitor and administer any aberrations to compliance with those, but rather it's the function of the municipalities and the state government and federal government which do the, you know, the best job that they know how with limited staff. And sure, you have that uh, bad actor here and there, as you have 
uh, in any any field. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're not going to solve it by creating another permit to regulate the good folks, 99.9% of which are operating legally within Chapter 125 and ethically uh, according to the best business practices they can muster. There are some inter- you know? interesting uh, points that were brought up, and I want to get your take uh, on them. You have some supporters on this special study committee. You have uh, William Glass, for instance, who's a craft mm-hmm. brewer, and he was very clear about his concern about tacking on more regulation and hindering mm-hmm. the marketplace. He, he, he made those points clear because he's had to deal with the horrors of this three-tier law. And his, his argument is we got to fix this broken system before we can even talk about enforcement because we're just enforcing broken laws. Uh, mm-hmm. that, all that said, then you have... Um, you know, an attorney from southeast Wisconsin who spoke uh, on your behalf and, and rather eloquently. But the vast majority of the people on this committee say, hey, you're a business. You need to have an alcohol license. And I was interested, particularly in a representative from the winery industry who also was adamant that you have to have a business license when. Uh, she was also at the same time, like so many others, asking for special carve-outs so that uh, uh, wineries could be able to sell beer, which is all fine, but that's I think therein lies the problem that you are getting at here, that we have special interest and that we have protectionism and we have a move to kill competition, whether that be through the existing law or carve-outs for certain certain parties but not for others. Exactly. This is one of the saddest parts of my life as I'm advancing toward uh, the age of 75. Um, You know, I still feel young and I'm very interested in everything I do on a daily basis. And I'm happy when my uh, guests are having a fabulous time and are uh, hugging and kissing us at the end of the night. Uh, But I I see over the decades that I've been in this country uh, that the the powerful manipulators of the laws and circumstances are, are getting more powerful and uh, they just seem to have such small regard for, uh, for, for the person who's just working hard and trying to get by and, um, and, and survive, you know. And, uh, and I also see that a lot of good Americans are so disappointed by that and so discouraged by that, that the effort that is being put forth is... Uh, meaningfully diminished from the 1950s and 60s that I remember as the America that I met. And I think that's tragic. I think it's tragic, too. I think we're seeing more of this, and I think we're unfortunately seeing it more and more from people who have long claimed to be free market conservatives until they are free market conservatives until something impacts them. Ultimately, right. this is supposed to be about um, the free market dictating, not some interest, not some group, not some network of organizations trying to keep out small businesses, entrepreneurs with alternative or different forms of business that may be competing with them. You've been very generous with your time, sir, and I want to get you to wedding number 
four, uh, 1,499, correct? You're almost at 1,500. Yes, indeed. Tomorrow is 1,500. I want to get you to that. I know you have a lot of preparations for that. But what do you see coming out of this? And I, I mean that in a lot of uh, varied senses here. Frankly, because, our, all right, I'd like to go back to the attorney you referenced, yes. who is uh, Southeast Wisconsin, who is, I believe, an official of the uh, Wisconsin Towns Association. I could be wrong on no, that, you're correct. but I, I'm, I'm quite sure. And, uh, and, and so, Mr. Macy, I believe, is his name. Yes, and so, you know, his comments were very well articulated, and, uh, and I think they represent this fact. If you throw another um, administrative and permitting kind of function on, on the local municipalities, uh, many of whom are members of this town's association that this gentleman represents, I mean, you're just creating a lot of busy work and again, the question that begs to be answered is, what's wrong? What is wrong? Your typical wedding barn closes down, shuts the lights off around midnight. If we were a licensed Class B establishment, we could be open until, I think it's 2 a.m. or 2.30. And uh, that's when the trouble happens in the streets, right? When people sit around for hours and hours and leave and they're drunk. And... Uh, and so, again, what kind of problem is this legislative process seeking to solve? And I submit to you that there is no problem. Uh, we're just creating a lot of uh, hardship uh, and, and uh, consumption of time and energy for people and worry uh, for people who might have, uh, you know, <clears throat> several hundred uh, events booked for next year. And now they have to worry about redoing the contract that exists because now there's some other uh, set of regulations. It's just uh, tragic. And uh, again, I'd like to tell Mr. Swearingen, go back to the uh, <clears throat> go back to the uh, uh, supper club that your family was uh, lucky enough to inherit from predecessors. Work hard on that. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Compete hard. Buy a farm down the road from you. There are many of these farms that are being abandoned. Record, as you know, record numbers of small farms are going out of business every month in Wisconsin. Um, I've attended a couple of farm auctions recently, and they were the saddest affairs on a rainy day, windy day, poor turnout, and equipment was being sold for, for, for pennies on the dollar. Mm. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of farm scenario that we're dealing with. So many of these small farmers are able to uh, just get over the, the, the threshold of sustainability by inventing uh, some other kind of uh, service uh, or product uh, within the uh, scope of agricultural tourism. We do contribute about, uh, uh, you know, what, what are the numbers, like $20 billion dollars uh, agriculture uh, contributes uh, or tourism to uh, Wisconsin's economy. Uh, just wedding barns alone last year uh, were estimated to be about $120 million and growing. And let's get the government out of the way so that people can work hard and thrive. And on that note, I want to ask you this, and I don't want to overstate it, but uh, as we conclude our conversations, you arrived here at the age of 12. You saw as a um, as a young person, what happened to your family under the growing 
sinister shadow of communism, state-owned businesses, all that that entails. Again, I don't want to overstate this, but going through this process, are you brought back to those days of, uh, of government socialism that dominated and destroyed people's lives? Oh, distinctly. Uh, absolutely. The feeling is uh, a version of the same. Absolutely. I was a young person uh, at the age of 12, but, you know, at 12, we're pretty smart already. We're pretty aware of what's going on. And I remember huddling in the basement uh, uh, and listening to Radio Free Europe, which was, uh, you know, the Western radio that was ba basically outlawed, but we could get the signal on a shortwave radio. And, uh, you know, dreaming about someday uh, being able to see the West uh, and, and being able to be free, uh, you know, we don't want to overstate it, but the direction that I mentioned that I personally have witnessed since 1957 when I arrived uh, to this day is uh, a, a, an escalation of government regulation, a degradation, degradation of, uh, of motivation of individuals. Uh, uh, far too many people are just saying, hey, what's the sense? You know, the rich are getting richer, the poor are, you know, uh, kind of stuck. And, um, and, and I, you know, I can't believe that a Republican administrator would allow this sort of thing to happen. <laughs> well, I thank you for your time, and we certainly thank you for your perspective. It is an interesting one, a compelling one at that. I wish you the best of luck. We'll continue to follow this issue, of course, at MacGyver News and MacGyver Institute. Yes. Thank uh, you so much for your efforts in that regard. Thank you so much, and enjoy, please do, enjoy wedding number 1,499. Thanks much. Be well. Bye now. God bless. Again, that is Steve Nagy, who is the owner and operator of a long-standing family business based on his farm. It's called Homestead Meadows, and Mr. Nagy and others in his business say they are perhaps on the verge of some real problems, if not extinction, because of more regulation that is being led uh, and that effort by a state committee that is supposed to be looking into enforcement of the state's alcohol laws. As I said, we'll continue to follow this story, and we thank you so much for joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. I'm Matt Kittle.